It's movie time, and notice that we're back again for another season of movie time. It's like, bet you didn't think that we were going to be back again anytime soon, huh? Well, we have our new AFM edition of this year, and we have a wonderful guest that has come to speak to us, Miss Tiffany Boyle. Hi, Tiffany. Hi, how are you? Doing great. How are you doing? I'm well, thanks. That's good. So, uh, we were this year over at the AFM. And uh, a lot of changes this year, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I, I think it's uh, ever-changing. So it's fun to see what is new and happening each year at AFM. Yeah, and what, uh, like last year they were all about uh, social media. They were all about uh, crowdfunding this year, a lot less on crowdfunding. and mm-hmm. just Yeah. Yeah, no, I'd say the biggest changes I saw this year were, um, it was a bit quieter, but I think people were really there to do business, so there was less riffraff, and um, the one thing I kept hearing was people are seem to be looking more and more for faith-based family content now. Really? Interesting. Really, why do you think? Uh, well, I think uh, movies like Fireproof have had a good amount of success in the heartland of America, and... Um, they tend to be family-oriented as well, so if they can be edited to an extent where you can also release it, it's not too um, faith-based, if you will, as, like the soul surfers of the world. <laughs> you can do a good uh, domestic release and then get some nice foreign as well. Nice. Can you tell us a little bit about you, like your background? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I went to Loyola Marymount for film school, graduated, and worked in the development and foreign sales department of a company called Crystal Sky. And stayed there for three years and have been now at Ramo Law for five and a half years, really building the packaging and sales side of the firm. We represent primarily producers and financiers and then a handful of writers in film, television, and digital content. So I'm the non-attorney here uh, helping our clients get to the point where they need to use the legal. <laughs> oh, very cool. So uh, with that, now working over at Ramo Law and was associated with Crystal Sky for also a number of years. How did that wind up being that transition? Um, I, I actually, I had a friend um, who had been working with the owner of Ramo Law, Elsa Ramo, and she was looking to really beef up this side of the firm because she was realizing that uh, it was very helpful to have somebody who knew what was happening on the foreign sales side and had a development background. So. After working at Crystal Sky for three and a half years, um, you know, the company had started changing there and it just felt like a good time to really try something new. And there haven't really been many other law firms with this side of uh, packaging and sales. And so we thought, let's try and make it work. And it has. It's been a good addition and uh, a fun role for me to play. <laughs> has it also uh, been able to, because I know that California with their recent laws uh, or that it's either coming into law saying that lawyers can't negotiate or as an agent or managers and all of that, are more law firms then starting to try and build in an actual packaging division? I think some have seen what we've done and, and are thinking outside the box more in that way. Um, I think the actuality of making it happen is a different thing. So, uh, you know, we've seen one or two other firms really trying to do that and having some success with it. And, uh, yeah, I, th- I think it's a, it's a good thing to have because we're not really trying to replace an agent. We're not trying to replace a manager. We're simply trying to help our clients take it to the next step and really help those agents and managers in the process so that everybody can make a movie, make TV, and make more money. 
Which is uh, awesome, because uh, then that way it's like it also uh, helps to then also working with the agency as uh, as the package in the packaging division and also having the law office. It also helps because then it, it's not like as though that you have to chase yet one more step. Exactly. In the process. I was wondering if you would be able to highlight for us a little bit, like, what is a packaging agent? <laughs> well, the definition of what it means to, to me for my firm is um, because we represent primarily producers, financiers, and some writers, is I, my expertise is more on the business and development side, so I'll help them beef up their script, introduce them to writers if needed, we'll help them in the foreign sales, domestic distribution, and um, agency world, and then we'll also help them with strategic introductions, be that maybe they're missing a gap funding piece or a tax incentive piece, or they're really looking for the right producer to help take it on, and, um, and maybe a line producer, we do those kinds of introductions, so hopefully they can all get it to the place where it can get made and we'll be on for production distribution legal. So bringing forward all of the elements. So the, the, the more business elements. Yeah. So we're not really in the actor world. We're more in the, um, the producer who knows different financiers or the producer that does have those actor relationships. We're trying to link up those people with the writer or director or other producers. And what would be like your ideal client come to you with? What would you want them to do to the? Would make you enticed to work with them? It's always helpful to have um, some real elements attached. Be that the right type of director, actor, um, producer, or financing, because uh, there are so many projects out there that uh, there's a lot for many different companies and financiers to choose from. Uh, it's helpful to see what makes it different and what makes it real. So the story obviously needs to be a really important, strong story. And then the on the flip side, you need to have some sort of element attached that gives it some sort of value for people to be enticed by it. Very cool, because like, uh, there, uh, there's just a lot of things that go into actually this. I wanted to actually also ask you, it's like, do you have preferences of genres that you like or that y you like to work with or film uh, type of filmmakers, budget ranges, or does it vary? It varies. Um, my personal preference is I actually really like science fiction, but um, I'd say the, the best genres or the ones to stay away from that are the hardest are typically dramas if they don't have a name cast attached. Um, and then budget-wise, we do everything from tiny $50,000 micro-budgets, and we've worked on $40 million budgets, so it can range and vary, but um, the scary range in there is, is anywhere between three to $10 million. Um, those tend to have a harder time getting made for whatever reason. They have a harder time recouping. And anything above $20 million, um, you really have to have the right package. So, yeah, you have to have the actors attached. The um, the, uh, the the actual el more than just regular elements, or is yeah, there yeah. And typically, those types of movies have you know a big writer, director on board, and or based off of some sort of big book or video game, something along those lines. Because what uh, that sounds like the, a lot of the this year also they were talking about some of the trends the way that they were last year it's either a tent pole or a lower budget it's like this year they're sort of getting a little bit more flexible so 
what do you find like some of the influencing trends that are happening that are selling movies in today's markets and stuff? Influencing trends, I'd say, and this is always something, but I find it to be more so is having the name cast attached. And then um, another trend that I've seen and have had a number of clients have good success with is making just a really smart movie that has some name elements, but maybe not huge names and are done for a micro or really smart budget level for what you're doing with it. And those movies tend to get into the Sundances of the world and um, are able to get the right type of distribution. Um, An example would be Obvious Child. Mm -hmm. Now, are you in it for the uh, artistic part aspects of creating films or is it just you know numbers or numbers and stuff like that because you know that's the thing that a lot of people who are in the creation part of the business always like to know so you personally is it um um do you get extra enjoyment when you make something that's artistically good or you're in I part do. Of uh yeah i mean i went to film school so it, it's something where i i've since I was a little kid, have have loved movies and have always wanted to make movies, and I do care a lot about the story. Um, but I'm not the type of person that can be on set every day. That's mm-hmm. not my personality. So I really like the business aspect of it, and I like the foreign sales side of it um, because you get to work with a lot of interesting people, and um, it's it's also a fascinating aspect of the industry to me as well. And what's awesome about my job is I get to do a bit of both. You, you know what's funny is a lot of people don't know that being on a film set is boring. <laughs> it's really, I find it to be. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people don't realize that. They think it's all exciting, but it's a lot of waiting around. It's a lot of uh, just sitting back and waiting for stuff to happen. So you got to really love wait. it. Hurry up and wait. You have to really yeah. love it to want to be a part of it. Yeah, and so unless I, I, I can't unless you're the director or one of the lead actors. I, I I'm not, just not sure it's uh, something I could ever do. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, it's like, and it's one of those things so that it's like I enjoy being on set myself, but that's because I am in the more active role uh, when I am on uh, on set, but. <laughs> It it just also depends. It's like you have to be willing to put in the hours. It's like basically you're married to the production during the time that you're there. Yeah, yeah, and you have to. That's correct. And then after that, you might have a little bit of a lull until you find the next one. And so it just depends on your personality and if you're a more um, you need more regimented or if you kind of like flying at the seat of your pants. And I know that there's like a lot of fads that are coming up, such as like crowd, uh, like the crowdfunding uh, thing. I know is like dying out that they said at the AFM, and slowly starting to become less acceptable in like that sort of thing with investors seeking uh, that. Like, and because also a lot of crowdfunders are going, um, I don't want just a T-shirt any longer. Why, why, you know? why is that though? You think uh, that is dying out because it was all the rage, you know, just recently. Um, I think. As you said, it's a fad, and so people get bored quickly. Um, and I think unless they feel like an active role where maybe they get to go to a premiere or something like that, it is, yeah, it's a T-shirt at the end of the day, and I have a lot of T-shirts. Everyone does, so mm-hmm. does it really matter at that point? And, and so I, I, I would imagine that that's what maybe a lot of the people donating for the crowdfunding um, projects have discovered. <laughs> Um, and so they're just not as willing to do it unless it's something they're really passionate about or have to see, like the Veronica Mars crowd, for example. It didn't matter if they got a T-shirt. They didn't care. They just wanted to see it. And I wanted to know also, like, 
because on that, it's like what your views are, like, because there are some sites now that, you know, they're building together, like DCFN, Slated, other sites that are really great sites for resources and stuff like that. For I wanted to know, like, with you, what you thought, like, were some of the solid sites and plans for, like, pre-marketing, sourcing, things like that, like, you know, build your own website versus... Honestly, we don't have many clients that kind of get into that realm, and we don't deal with them very much, I think probably because we're just in it, so um, there's not many of our clients that need to spend the money, or, or they already know how to kind of deal with those aspects of things, so I don't feel like I could give a great recommendation in that front. I, I think it's it's looking into what's the right platform for you and or trying to find a producer or um, your agent or manager or entertainment attorney um, that can really recommend what you should be doing as opposed to putting all your eggs into a specific um, website. And, and what I've known from clients who have done it, we have had a couple clients do the Kickstarter type of scenarios, and it, it does become a full-time job. So mm-hmm. you have to be really, really dedicated to those websites and making sure you're updating everything and that you're getting in on everything. And um, a lot of people just don't have the... Um, the capacity and, and ability to really spend every waking hour on those. I was also wondering, because it's like on the, a little bit on also, though, what we were saying before, because some financiers and distributors are also devaluing it, like mm-hmm. the, the crowdfunding as well and other social media trends and uh, like that. So how does that play in the overall packaging of the project? I don't think it necessarily means, oh, because it got crowdfunding, this is going to be a home run movie, I think, uh, or, or project. I, I think it means, oh, well, that's one extra investor we don't have to worry about paying back. <laughs> um, and so investors look at it from that standpoint. But you're right, I, I, it doesn't necessarily mean anymore, yes, this movie has to get made and investors aren't looking at it like, oh, well, because it raised this much on crowdfunding, it means that it's going to do well in the box office and um, I, I'm not sure exactly why that is I think all of them have their own reasons why they feel that is but it's uh, probably a lot because mm-hmm. it's been proven it doesn't necessarily mean that it does well in the box office it's just a means to that's just one more investor we don't have to pay back as well as site likes as well because it's like a lot of people have in the past and and uh, un- like dealt with site likes and uh, in terms of that and that also is playing a new trend in it because showing like you know that yes there will be a popularity of butts on seats I feel like (laughs) my perspective on that is if somebody came to me with something like that in the beginning um, to me that doesn't really matter because um, those types of audiences depending on how they are can be fickle and they may follow somebody but it doesn't mean they're going to pay a certain amount of money to go watch their film um, and we've had a couple of clients that have had misconceptions in that front. Um, what I, I think it helps in the distribution strategy of things, and it, it definitely helps to be targeting them, but uh, it just, just doesn't always translate into getting butts in seats. And so, um, you know, I often say to my clients, be wary of that type of stuff. It's good to know that they have it, but uh, you still have to make sure the script is good. You still have to make sure that the actors attached are good, that the director can actually execute because if it's not a good movie at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if these people have followings. Word gets out and you're not going to get people in those seats or buying the movie. 
and uh, so it's like it's actually becoming the trend more along the lines of going back to the it's back to the story it's and, back to the story yeah and 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 i think again it, it helps in the distribution strategy of being able to say you know so and so some actor some actress said hey please watch my movie on this and that helps but at the end of the day when you're talking about people spending 10 15 20 dollars on a movie they're just not interested unless it's good I wanted to know, because like you were talking about also knowns and unknowns. It's like, can a combination of known and unknown talent also benefit or harm a project? Uh, yeah, and I would say that it depends on the known and unknown factors. Um, there are definitely ones that will help you, and um, there are definitely known names that I tell my clients, please stay away from because they add a cheese factor to your film. Ah, so in your opinion, it's also still star-driven to somewhat, or known-driven, but are we, because we are entering a a new phase in the markets, uh, such as, like, other product contents and demand uh, on new entities? Uh, It's like, uh, can you speak to that at all? I'm sorry, can you repeat? Like, for example, uh, like, new media trends, there are uh, things like, for example, what we do with some people like machinima other like web uh, web series things like that that have unknown actors new things uh, new emerging markets that are coming up yeah i think those are a bit easier to have unknowns for as long as you have some like a machine like machinima behind it um being able what the problem we get a lot of, of our like potential clients or people coming to us looking for help is they'll say well so and so made a movie or a, or a web series that didn't have anybody in it and it did really well, but maybe it was developed in-house through a digital company or through a production company and they were able to just put the money behind it and make it work. Um, you know, it, a, lot of the, a lot of projects don't have that luxury and, um, it's, you know, they tend to be the exception and not the rule. And so I, that's why I, I tend to tell my clients, look, try and be safe with it so you know you can at least get X amount back. And then if you make more from there, fantastic. But you need to at least hit the safety numbers um, with the cast, with the director, making sure that it's executed well. And um, that's why movies, like, we worked on a movie called Like Crazy. Um, Our firm did. And it was made for a really low budget, $250,000, and had, um, you know, Anton Yelchin, Felicity Jones, and uh, Jennifer Lawrence in it. And uh, they obviously did, did very well in terms of sales. It premiered at Sundance. And they mitigated their risk by making a really low budget with some, at the time, good actors but not extremely well-known actors and just hit the jackpot with it. And uh, But at the end of the day, had they not hit the jackpot, they still would have been able to make their money back because they did it at a lower price point. Yeah, within a reasonable size budget. Within reasonable size budgets. Correct. And, and a director who actually knew how to execute a movie. Yeah. In... I know that you were for a while involved with the marketing campaigns on some of these films over the years. Uh, it's like, because a lot of people now are also boosting their, uh, like, promoting their own websites and stuff like that with their films to be able to actually in POCs and things like that. Um, it's like, uh, you know, now that it, working with the packaging agent, it's like, does that affect also the marketing campaigns as well as also affecting, like, the how the financiers, distributors look at it since um, the filmmakers are now taking active roles in that? It can. I think it depends on which filmmaker it is and if they actually have an understanding and a wherewithal to 
market the film. Um, if they've never done it before, they really don't have the right plan in place. It doesn't help versus, um, you know, there's, there's digital companies out there that do rely a lot on um, the filmmakers to market the film as much as they can. And, and we've seen the ones that didn't really market them well, haven't made any money. And the ones who marketed well have ways, have made some money. Um, but those tend to be more in the digital space versus a film that has some real cast behind it and is looking to maybe do more like a DVD release, theatrical, then I think you tend to re need to more rely a bit more on your distributor and working with them on the right marketing strategy. Mm -hmm. Now, um, if you're a prospective uh, filmmaker and you get to the point where you, they think they need to come to you, what would you suggest, you know, just so they'll be ready to uh, do business with you, what would you expect a, uh, a filmmaker, specifically a young filmmaker, when they come to you? Like, what, what do they need to have already in place? I would say uh, good content, be that, you know, the, the TV side, the, uh, we, we work on unscripted um, TV series as well, um, the documentary side, the feature film side, and or digital content. Um, it needs to be good and um, have some sort of plan behind it. Uh, it's hard to come to me and say, here's a project. I have no idea what I want out of it. It's good to say, eh, here's my project. It's a documentary. I know I want it to go into this type of festival and then go from here. And I've thought of these types of project of these types of distributors. Um, but also being realistic with that, um, you know, documentaries don't typically go to 2,500 screens. And so it's really hard to hear that when somebody has those unrealistic expectations. So <laughs> having the plan, but also being realistic with it. And, and from there, I do look at all different types of projects. We, we work on at least 50 to 60 movies a year. So we are quite broad in terms of what we'll look at and what we'll work on. It's just got to be something I feel like I can actually do something with. And we have lots of different clients and contacts, so that can vary. Um, so I know it seems like a broad answer, but I need at least those three things. Oh, okay. It, which, uh, which makes perfect sense. Cause now it's like, also there are new media things. So it's like, have you worked with the new media things such as machinima webs, like those webinar, like those web series, things like that. Um, now that places like Vimeo, YouTube, all of that, and the whole co-production collaboration with that. Yeah, we haven't worked as much with Machinima, but we've worked with Vimeo. We've had a client that did um, their premiere actually went through uh, Vimeo, and then they released through other platforms after that, a uh, movie called Some Girls. And um, we've done some other digital, like we had a, a TV series that we did the legal on that was um, through Hulu, and we've done some Amazon, and um, we're actually getting doing some Netflix stuff right now. Um, and so it's, it's varied, and we've done a bunch of each, but... Um, you know, they all have their different needs, and so it changes accordingly. Uh, what, uh, can you tell me a little bit about, like, what project in your past did you find that, like, the most challenging to bring together? <laughs> what um, was that one that, like, you know, just, <laughs> you sit there and go, oh, my God, we did it, but holy cow. <laughs> I mean, they're all so challenging in their own different ways. Um, it's hard to say exactly which one was the hardest. Um, I guess some of the ones, if it's okay to kind of flip the question a little bit, one Absolutely. of the ones that was most surprising to me and, and in a um, really great way is a movie, we did a client, we helped a client on a movie called Home Run and it's uh, more middle America, uh, has some faith-based elements to it, uh, made for a good price point and 
um, you know, we were able to help them find their theatrical deal, their uh, ancillary deal, and then also their Canadian theatrical and their um, mm-hmm. their foreign deals. But then they also have CBA rights that they went through Provident for foreign. And so it was just really interesting to see all the pieces come together that I didn't even necessarily know existed. Like, what do church exhibition rights mean in South Africa, uh, it's really interesting to learn and know all the different aspects of um, what a niche film can do and that it can do really well in those really small markets, but also really well in some of the bigger ones if it's done right. And that one was a really nice surprise to see all the different people that were really vying for it. Very cool. And because uh, it's like, you know, that, uh, that's actually quite surprising. It is. Yeah. Because it's like a lot of people also talk about the words branding. Can you tell us about branding in more details? <laughs> Nobody ever really gives us what the word brand. It, it's been bantered around so many times. It feels like as though that you know somebody has uh, you know pretty much put a label to it, but nobody's actually put a name to it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I'm not a branding expert, so um, it's harder for me to speak to it. I, I, and, I, and I believe that it's really hard to. Um, brand a specific movie unless it has already been branded through a book or uh, a video game and branding an independent film that has nothing behind it is very very difficult Um, and what I think is important to think about is if you are going or thinking along the lines of branding an independent film who's your market audience Um, and then trying to hone in what the brand is from there and really working with your distributor on that We've had clients films that have made really good films, and but the problem is maybe it's, it really should be a family movie, but it's a little too racy to be a family movie, and so people just don't know what to do with it. And I think starting from the very beginning script stage of thinking about, okay, am I, if, what's selling right now? What's hopefully going to be selling a year from now when I'm done with it? And what does that mean in terms of my brand? Am I going for a G, a PG rating, or am I really trying to do PG-13? Because if you sit somewhere in the middle, uh, it's often hard to get it out there. And uh, I do think it starts from script stage and really thinking about when you say branding. Branding to me means who's going to see this film and how is it going to get out there and who's going to distribute it for me so that the most eyeballs can see it. Makes sense uh, in terms of that. It's like that's. Uh, thank you for also doing that because I mean, as I said, it's been so many things, just so many people. <laughs> it just gets confusing after a while. Yeah, and I think everybody has their own definition of it, but um, that's what it means. To me. And it's like because also I was wondering, it's like what are some of the pitfalls you warn a lot of client uh, of people about in regards to films? It's like. It, it's like, or the challenges, I should say, more along the lines of if when you're looking at a project, that maybe a more uh, like, is there something that you would want to tell people about any of the pitfalls that they should be looking for? I would say uh, the biggest pitfalls are adding on people who don't bring anything to a project. So making sure that you're bringing on people who can actually help you and. Um, know what they're doing versus adding fat. Um, and then uh, making sure you're making a... There are some people who are have the ability to make a movie just because they have the passion for it and they make a good movie and it, it does well. But um, 
those are rare. And so making sure you're making a movie that's viable, that people want to see, and you're not doing it um, just because, um, unless you have the ability to fund that. And mm-hmm. then and then also um, doing it for the right budget point, because I see a lot of projects that are getting made for exorbitant amounts of money that they could make for a lot less. And and make very creatively for a lot less. And um, because of that, the investors never recoup and you never make another movie because your investor doesn't want to work with you again. Previously, also, I had spoken with also uh, someone else in the industry and they had made mention of the fact that in regards to pre-sales, if you don't have at least 30% to 40% of your foreign pre-sales done, that should the movie really be made because it's fiscally responsible. Do you go through that uh, also with your clients of fiscally, uh, of, uh, like if you would caution a new filmmaker or even current filmmakers of what would be fiscally or, or not fiscally responsible? To an extent, it, um, typically the movies that are pre-sold are of a good size budget range because they often need to have the right director and or actors on board. Um, and so, yes, if it's not selling well before you've made it, it's probably a good idea to scrap it or scrap something of it and replace it and or think about another project. Um, but there are those movies that do break the mold or are done for a low enough budget where they're not going to be pre-sold because no foreign sales agent wants to sell it because it's too low of a budget and it may be too risky but if you have the right elements attached again an example with the obvious child it can really um do well uh and and then the other aspect is some movies just do better domestically than they do foreign so if it's more of a domestic targeted movie not necessarily worrying as much about if you've been able to pre-sell certain foreign markets because that's not going to happen if it's more of a domestic movie. It's like, so with the packaging agent, part of it, and with the package itself, taking it to the next step, it's like so then it's like making sure that all of your elements are already in place. It's like, is there anything that you would say um, too soon, not too soon? Also in that same genre, in that same thing, it's like, you know, you're putting the cart before the horse. Um, I think you're putting the cart before the horse if you've already attached an entire crew to your movie and you don't even know who your director is. <laughs> um Things like that where uh, I think often in a package what's most important to see from the beginning is, you know, who's the writer, who are the producers or, um, or executive producers, who is the director. And then do, what are your plans and, or have you already attached a foreign sales agent and or rep, be that one of the bigger agencies or, um, for example, CA, Gersh, or even the preferred contents, tractions of the world. Um, and then uh, having the right financing model or financing in place. I'm not sure you need a whole lot beyond that um, until you have those specific things in place. Now, um, let me ask you this question. Is investing in a film a good investment? And I'm, the reason why I'm asking this question is that you hear all the time about people who've invested in films from the producer side. And mm-hmm. some of the films are very successful financially. But you always hear, man, I lost a ton of money. And you're like, you know, wait, that, mo- that movie made way over its budget. But you, all, mm-hmm. you hear about these people who lose money. Uh, so... 
what's the you know not everybody loses money in move you know in uh uh putting out movies so can you give some light to that why some people seem to lose money when they invest in a movie that does very well financially um i would say it's maybe because they didn't have the right negotiated deal in place mm-hmm. and um sometimes just being creative with the deals can really help you make more money back. Um, you know, sometimes we'll try and get like a gross corridor. So you're seeing money from dollar one, for example, and you know exactly what's coming in. Um, and, you know, it, it, if a movie does well and you're not seeing money, that's typically the case is that whatever deals you have in place, um, you hopefully should have been more creative on in terms of how you're making your money back. And the good news is a lot of distributors and foreign sales agents are willing to be more creative with filmmakers, I'd say, than they used to be. They're lowering their marketing fees or they're, um, you know, willing to kind of work with you more and maybe take more of a partnership in the movie, especially if it's a pre-sale scenario. And so it's really important to have the right reps behind you and the right um, attorneys behind you in that process to make sure you're hopefully getting as much money back as you can. Cause you know, the, the word that you always hear is never put your own money in a movie. You know, you know, you always hear that, uh, that, you know, I always get someone else to pay for it or whatever. Um, now obviously there's situations where, you know, that's okay. But, um, I mean, where you know, it's beneficial to it, but mm-hmm. so, you're basically saying that it's all about the deal that you that you uh, broker when it comes to um, assuming the, the movie back. has actually performed. Mm-hmm. Then yes, if it hasn't, then it's because you probably picked a movie that either wasn't released well because mm-hmm. maybe the distributor didn't know who to really market it to, or they didn't do the right push behind it that they needed to, or the film wasn't executed to the extent it needed to, or it just wasn't a viable project that people mm-hmm. really wanted to see in the marketplace. Oh, okay. And so it's, that's where, again, as a financier, it, there is, you know, a lot of them, we have seen ones that are just get involved because they're really passionate about the filmmaker and um, they haven't necessarily thought about the end game of what it means to get the return on the money, but it's really important to think about that and making, and make sure that you have the right team behind you um, guiding you and giving you the right advice um, in terms of which projects you're investing in, and that's again where reps and attorneys are the most helpful. And also, it's like, so then you're saying as soon as uh, as soon as you possibly can to also secure in terms of the sales agent or packaging agent, if uh, if at all possible, once all of uh, most of the elements uh, are put into place, or some of the elements are put into place, so that you have the best deals that are negotiated along the way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've seen clients who have given away things before an attorney or a rep came involved and um, had they had that person, uh, they may have saved themselves a lot of headache of either having to spend the money to renegotiate the deal or just being stuck in the deal and, uh, you know, having to give up some money later because of it. I had also a couple of questions, though, because uh, which brought up a really interesting part of that. Because it's like a lot of people uh, want to know, like, how do you, as a filmmaker, uh, find like legit packaging agents, and where should you go to be even begin the search? Uh, I think attending markets like AFM and um, you know Can Toronto are good places to at least get a feel and start beginning the search. It's not an easy process. 
and it's not an easy business to break into if you're trying to deal with agents and managers because you know they have a lot on their plate and they have their own um, their own rosters and people they're already taking care of and and they have a lot coming to them so they only have a finite amount that they can really take on at a time and so I think it's just about doing as much networking as humanly possible um, and attending markets and often just even by attending markets and festivals and doing the networking, you'll at least meet people who can introduce you to this person, introduce you to this person, and eventually you develop a network and uh, eventually you can get through to those packaging agents, but typically just calling up um, doesn't work. <laughs> well, which makes sense. And it's like, would you suggest for people who are breaking in, starting at boutiques or go for the, like, I know that you yourself, it's like, how, in terms of approachabilities, are you looking at it? It's like, obviously, somebody is not just going to be able to come up to you and say, I have a fantastic film, and you're going to go, oh, great. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, and and a lot of my friends and people I've known um, who who really want to be a producer, a a real, you know, on-set producer, they'll often um, start as an assistant in a production company or a smaller agency or in the mailroom, and you just have to work yourself your way up. And um, in the interim, they try and keep developing and packaging their project, but that way they're at least in the industry, have a salary, and um, are making those connections. Yeah, and uh, with regards to that, it's like um, looking at uh, also from your perspective, how many sales agents can you actually attach to a project? Because some of them only work territory-based where others work all-based. So, uh, I mean, typically the way we've worked with foreign sales agents is they either represent the world where they'll help you find your domestic distribution deal and the rest of the territories around the world, or... So you have one, right? Or you they are represent foreign, um, and they will help you find your Italian deal, your Australian deal, Japan, et cetera. And then you have a rep, which consists usually of like a CAA, XYZ, preferred content, Gersh, those types of companies who will help you find your domestic deal and your Canadian deal and or your Canadian deal. Sometimes Canada either goes with the foreign sales agent and or, or it goes with the... Um, the producer's rep, which is the CAA. Yeah, we flip flop. <laughs> yeah. Um, so usually, historically, I've seen it just be one foreign sales agent, one rep, and then you find your Canadian uh, domestic distributors. And the only time I've seen it be broken up is because sometimes a foreign sales agent will say, well, I have a friend who works really well in Asia or has great Asian connections. Well, let's kind of work together. Um or it doesn't work with that first foreign sales agent and the client decides to terminate and find another foreign sales agent. Other than that, you really shouldn't be bringing on too many because it can muddy the waters. Well, which, uh, which does make uh, sense. So at least t- uh, if two or c- does the packaging agent and sales agent also overlap sometimes with one another so that they uh, can? Every now and again, I mean, there's been times where because I have a distributor friend in a certain territory, I've been able to sell off certain territories. Um, it's important to be careful of that type of thing because foreign sales agents, if you've already sold off too many, often don't want to take it on then because they're going to lose a lot of revenue because a lot of the world's already been sold or the bigger parts of the world may have already been sold. So you have to be careful when you do that type of stuff. It really has to be the right situation. 
I was also wondering, and I, uh, forgive me if this sounds like a very insensitive question, and uh-uh. I, and it's always the one on the, of how does one budget into there for the packaging agents, the sales agents, because um, from what I, we were noticing this year at the AFM, um, pretty much that they were saying, we're going to chew your front end and your back end, too. So how, and I'm not trying to sound facetious <laughs> or anything when I say yeah. that, but, you know, that was pretty much the message that was coming out for a lot of people uh, of that. So how does one budget then in your budget for your packaging agents, sales agents, etc.? Um, I mean, for packaging agent, it can, it can vary. I know at some, at some of the companies, they typically do some sort of maybe monthly retainer or they do a percentage or they'll do a flat fee. Um, it just depends on who you're working with and what they're open to. In our case, um, because we're a law firm, we work in either on an hourly rate or a flat fee or a percentage basis. And it just depends on the case and the scenario. Um, and then there are some that maybe will take a bigger role, take a percentage, take a fee. Um, if they're bringing in financing, which some of them do, then they will want some sort of back end typically. Um, so I'd say it's typically some sort of developmental cost. And so you budget it in the development financing stages. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been seeing a lot more of that. Um, and if you're not, if you're not really needing the development, then, um, and you're really just kind of, bringing them in later once you're mostly packaged and maybe looking for last minute financing or whatever that is, then you kind of build it into the budget as a fee typically. Um, and then in terms of the foreign sales agents, you're going to want a budget that they take a certain marketing and distribution fee, which is usually like a flat cap um, or, or, or up to a cap. And then they'll usually want a percentage, which I've seen range anywhere between 15 to um, 30%. Mm-hmm. So you have to just budget that in whenever you're signing them, knowing that um, that that's going to be there. No matter who you go with, they'll have some sort of um, marketing expense typically, and then a, and then some sort of fifteen to thirty percent fee. Well, which makes sense. Uh, it, it's like obviously uh, packaging agents as well as sales agents do a whole lot of work. <laughs> Yeah, and, and and again, like I, I've seen everybody get a lot more creative lately because the market's changed and people are taking either a more active role or um, you know the the market's kind of worked for them one way versus another, and so I think that there's a way to be creative and there's not just one way it works. So it's trying to meet a bunch of different options and seeing which one's the best for you. Which does make sense. And it's like, I just wanted to also ask you, it's like, you know, because there are a lot of people who have been asked, like, the, if there are persons and companies certain in the industry who are like the paid-to-pitch people or paid-to-introduce you to uh, this sort of thing. What's your view on it? Is it actually legal? I mean, it's, it's I, I can't speak to whether or not I think it's actually legal. I, I believe it is because at the end of the day, um, you've done a certain amount of work. I think some people take more advantage of that work than others in terms of what fees they're taking. Um, and I think that those are very important aspects of the business because introductions and helping people link up. It's almost like I, I, I say it's kind of like being a matchmaker and, and matchmakers get paid to set people up. Um, you know, it's putting the right people in touch and hoping that they can go make a movie together. And, and that um, knowledge of who's going to work together and who 
you should be working with and should know in the industry is invaluable uh, so that people aren't wasting their time on a bunch of people that they shouldn't be working with. And uh, so now with these also new and emerging markets, it's like, is it more than, uh, more than ever important that the sales agent becomes completely involved at the early stage and also with the packaging agent? It's like, uh, how crucial at the stage for a filmmaker should we be looking at getting there? Just like, uh, with, for example, with Stephanie Palmer, she says, you know, right away from the get-go of the concept, start your pitch from... Mm-hmm. Uh, your point of view, how soon do you start your research into your packaging agents? Uh, I think I think your research from the beginning, when you approach them, varies depending on some people like to come in a little earlier, some don't, and that goes the same for foreign sales agents. For Some foreign sales agents have the ability to finance and produce and um, then sell their movie, and some don't, and so it's who are your targets, who's a right fit for the movie, and then from there, and you do that at the very beginning, script stage, or once you have a producer on board, um, and then uh, really, depending on that, reaching out accordingly. Which, uh, which makes sense. Also, uh, just wanted also to highlight, one. Uh, also, it's like, what are our benefits for attending the AFM from your perspective as well as from a filmmaker's perspective as well? From my, from my perspective, the reason why it's beneficial for me is I get a link back up again with um, foreign distributors and foreign sales agents and really get a good pulse on what's going on in the industry, what's selling, why, why not, where. Um, And I think the same goes for, even though you may not have as much access if you haven't sold a film before, trying to meet with um, people at AFM and markets and festivals of, okay, just, you know, word of mouth, what's happening, what's going on, and then also... um, you know, at those markets and festivals, there typically there are some people who are really are there not doing anything, but then there are the legitimate people who are there who are very active in the industry, and it's really good to just network and meet people and um, learn more about what's going on at each market because the market is ever-changing. Um, those would be the biggest things to me. Now, let's talk about the future. Um, for you specifically, uh, what would you like to see with your career, uh, is there any other aspects you want to get into the business or are you happy where you're at or, you know, so what, what can we expect from Tiffany that maybe yeah. we haven't seen yet? Um, I, I am very happy where I'm at. Um, you know, I, I would like to continue building this side of the firm and building the roster. And, um, but the other thing is, uh, about a year or so ago, I executive produced a film with my husband that is, um, now, completed and working on the distribution plan and I'd like to continue doing things like that where I come in um, executive produced to a certain extent and, and I'm not again I'm not the type to be on set every day so kind of come in help with the process and move on with my life um, that is appealing to me <laughs> well it, it, which is awesome because it's like yeah it, it's always an ever-evolving industry yeah and uh, so is there any great uh, great last minute things that you would also like to tell us a, a little bit about of like anything that's coming up in terms of trends or things that we should be looking out for? Um, I would say things to be looking out for are, 
I've noticed um, more and more foreign financiers trying to um, figure out how to work in, in America and, and what that what that means in terms of the type of movies they're investing in because they're looking to invest in not just foreign movies but um, either American ones or some sort of co-production. And so uh, I think there's a lot of opportunity out there for the co-production world and um, trying to figure out how to do that. We've done one with China this year. We've done a couple in France and um, just really working with those types of financiers and or production companies that finance and see, I've seen more and more of that happening. Um, I'm not sure if everybody else has, but that's what I've been seeing and something to look out for. And that's where, again, going to Berlin and Cannes and Toronto are really helpful. Absolutely. Uh, they most definitely are. Also, um, with the BRIC countries now uh, getting it, uh, because they're shaky, is there new trends that are also happening in terms of that that you can see from the packaging agent point of view? With which country? Uh, because a lot of the BRIC countries, like Brazil is having, is pulling away from their finance, Russia with mm -hmm. the embargoes, yeah. China, though nine theaters every single day are opening up, it's like they're mm -hmm. still at only 30 foreign films in a whole entire year. Mm -hmm. um, is there new trends that are starting to emerge forward also in that sense? I mean, I, I'm sure... You've heard this before, but China keeps coming up and, um, you know, all of our clients are either trying to work over there or have found a way to work over there. And um, I think that's, that's the emerging trend I'm seeing. And, and there's obviously a, a good amount of red tape to, to work through and figure out exactly how to do it and how to make it a China co-production so you get the right money, but also making it something appealing to the foreign um, marketplace and the domestic marketplace. So... Um, I think that's something to continue to look out for, but I know that it's something that's already been happening. It's just happening more and more in our world. So are we on the climb with the movies now? It's like, are we getting back to the system where more movies are coming out, or are we still going to stay with a whole lot of tent polling, in your opinion? I believe we're going to stay with a whole lot of tent polling, um, but I, I also feel like there's a lot of good independent movies and, and there's money to be made if you do it right. Um, you know, we are, I, I'm a little biased though because our business has only ever picked up. Um, so, you know, we've, we've over doubled since I've been here in size. And so I, <laughs> I haven't um, had the experience of, of having the, seeing exactly the difficulties of, um, whether or not the movies are making their, their money back because luckily our clients have been successful in that regard Great. for the most part. <laughs> Very cool. And so what kind of movies are you looking forward to seeing over the next year coming forward? It's like uh, you had made mention of preferences and genres and budgets mm -hmm. and stuff. It's like uh, is there ones that it's like you would definitely turn around and shy away from? Um. <laughs> I don't know that there's any that I totally shy away from. I, I'm pretty, uh, my, my husband is also in the industry and he will see any and everything. And so he makes me um, a lot more adventurous in that way than I used to be. I'm much more open-minded in <laughs> seeing it all. The ones that I'm really looking forward to seeing, and, and I have a seven-month-old at home, so I don't have, unfortunately, the luxury of any more of going to movies as often and um, keeping track of exactly when they're releasing. But I'm very excited to see Interstellar. Um, Great movie, by the way. 
Yeah, and I'm a big Benedict Cumberbatch fan, so I'm really looking forward to the imitation mm-hmm. as well. Oh yeah, it's like a, I am definitely looking forward to seeing what trends are coming up in the in the up and coming industries and stuff. It's like because it, it seems that, that we're just going all over the map this year. Because yeah. there really hasn't been one specific genre that has stood out. It hasn't been the romantic comedy year. It hasn't been the action-adventure year. It's mm-hmm. been also a little bit of everything. Yeah, and I mean, it's really cool when you have, you know, there's there's movies that are getting really good press, like Still Alice, that's an Alzheimer's movie. And again, it's based off of a book, so that's really helpful. But um, all the way to, you know, Gone Girl, all the way to Interstellar. <laughs> so it's nice to see all the different options available that are getting good press and, and seem to be doing well. Um, I know that sometimes uh, it doesn't work out where you can't um, be involved with the movie. Maybe things didn't come together. Um, I don't know if you can speak on it, but was there ever a project that you wish it had worked out, that maybe they came to you and that it uh, it didn't work out for some whatever reason, and then it got produced and you're like, dang, I wish I wish we did uh, be a part of that. <laughs> I, I pushed my client so hard to invest in All Is Lost, mm-hmm. um, which was that Robert Redford mm-hmm. movie um, that was released uh, last year. And uh, I, I pushed very hard for them to do that, and it was very, very successful. Um, I think it made its money back before it was ever even shot. And, uh, yeah, that's the one I, I continuously look back on. <laughs> <laughs> that's the diamond that, uh, that all must be compared by. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And it's such a rare case that that happens, but yeah. <laughs> oh, no, that's actually a great thing because uh, now, sorry, when, uh, I was also looking at it from your point of view. You were saying with writers, it's like, are you uh, working more with known or unknown writers? Are you open? Is the, uh, are you as the firm open to various levels of filmmaker? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we work with ones who've been in the industry for over 20 years, and then we work with brand new writers. As long as there's a talent and a vision, um, we try and be as helpful as we can. And I was wondering, so how does, uh, uh, so what is your favorite way of being approached? Because we had asked Susan Johnson in regards to that as well, and, other, uh, and others as well. How do you like to be approached with, uh, with regards to that? Uh, honestly, if you feel like you're ready and it's something where, um, you know, you, you feel like you have something viable, we, we always do an initial phone call and then from there we kind of suss out, it'll either be my assistant or someone from my office or myself directly, um, we'll do an initial phone call, kind of explain about how we work and then, uh, suss out whether or not it makes sense to continue from there. That makes sense. Yeah. So, uh, it's like it, 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 so what is the next festival that you will also uh, be looking to, uh, forward to attending? Uh, we, our whole office is attending Sundance in just uh, about a month. And we have six films there that uh, our firm worked on in some capacity. So we'll be enjoying that. Hey, you get to see Robert there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll be like, oh, I wish, I wish. <laughs> but yeah. That's funny. Absolutely. And it's like we wanted to thank you so so much for doing this interview for us. It's like it is, was absolutely amazing. 
Thank you. Thank you so much for reaching out, and I'm happy to do it. It's fun to get to know you guys and talk. I love talking about the industry, so it's fun to do. <laughs> and definitely we'll be keeping in touch because there's a lot that's going on, especially with these new trends, especially with all of the things going on with copyrights, with reclaims of rights that are going on. It's like it's just becoming, wow, one of those hodgepodge things. Yeah. Like, yeah, and, and it, again got to make sure you're protected on it <laughs> it's like uh, every and you can't say protected 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 yeah, yeah. And, and i'm not even an attorney but i no. just i see uh i hear every single day somebody who uh didn't you know pay attention during the process and um or didn't get something done that they needed to and i i just hear all of the attorneys here go no you should have done this this and this and so i know how important it is <laughs> secure all rights yeah, figure it out. Do it before you go to, too far down the path, before you spend too much time and money and uh, hurt the project in the interim. Absolutely. And I look forward to uh, future interviews and talking more thank about you. this. Yeah, thank you so much. It was great to talk with you and looking forward to it as well. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.